0: This is Scott Cross from Earth Crisis, and you're listening to the New Scene.
1: We can't have people complaining that there's not enough cheese in the cheese sandwiches, now, can we? I mean, if there's no cheese in a cheese sandwich, it's basically just two slices of bread. If word of that were to get out, well, I could lose my job. I could lose all of this. <laughs>
0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to The New Scene. This is Keith. And Tommy. And we are back with another soon-to-be classic jam-packed show. On the show tonight, Chris Teddy of The World is a Beautiful Place, and I am no longer afraid to die. Excellent band. I'm sure an excellent human being. We're excited to talk to him. Tommy, I've been doing a deep dive on their catalog ever since I saw them, that gig with Gates, the recent gig, to support their new album, Illusory Walls, released this year, 2021, on Epitaph Records. I really like this band, and the thing I like most about them is they're pretty unique. As far as bands in this world, I think they really stand out. I really like the different elements they incorporate.
1: And I'm very excited to talk to Chris. For sure. This is one of those ones where I'm really looking forward to the conversation specifically surrounding just the music and how it's made, because it really is like, they take a lot of twists and turns. So I'm really interested to like talk about how the music is made and how they decide which parts go where, because it really does move very quickly from one type of music to another.
0: Yeah. And seamlessly. I love it. There's a lot of different elements. Also, Chris is an engineer. You know he trained with uh Greg Thomas from END. Get out, really? Yeah. So I'm curious to hear about that. There's a there's a lot of ground to cover. We're excited. And folks, a quick reminder. Follow us on the many accounts we have online, especially my new favorite, Twitch. Twitch.tv slash The New Scene. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at NewScenePod. Search us out on YouTube at The New Scene. And click that subscribe button. We are also on Facebook now. Search out the new scene page and give that a follow. We love followers. We want them, especially on Twitch, because I'm obsessed with Twitch now. But uh, we'll talk
1: more about that later. (laughs) I I checked in last night for about five minutes before I fell asleep. And you were playing a game I've never seen before. Nightmare on Elm Street. For NES,
0: yeah. You know, I never played it till this year, but it's a very good game. But uh, we'll talk about that a little later if there's time because now is our music review time. And Tommy, Tommy, we have listened to Converge Blood Moon and I've got to say I absolutely love this record. I wasn't sure what to expect at all. I knew it was different because I've read everybody's reactions online and holy cow, I I think more bands need to I think more established bands need to do stuff like this because it's a really pleasant surprise. I really like what they're doing. I really like the combination of sounds. And I'm not a big production guy, but
1: I listened to this record and I was like, holy shit, this sounds amazing. Yeah, this runs the gamut from really kind of like dark, almost doom metal kind of sound Yeah, to stuff that's kind of like noise rock <laughs> like yeah like it goes all over the place and then there's acoustic sections jacob's singing a lot it is really really an interesting record in that when i first turned it on i made the mistake i always make with going on to uh spotify which is i don't click on the album i click on the top played songs yeah and i clicked on the top played song and i actually had to go back and check i'm like is this converge like, is this, am I listening to Converge? Um, but again, like you said, I love when bands like this that are established and are heavy go in a different not a completely different direction, but take their sound and change it into something that kind of seems to mimic where the band is going emotionally and kind of mature, like in their terms of their maturity. It's really, really awesome to hear.
0: Yeah, Converge is taking a chance with this record and trying some new stuff. Circus Survive did it earlier this year with their EP, A Dream About Love, a little earlier this year. I like
1: it. I like it. I actually, you kind of said like before you were like, oh, I didn't really see this coming with it, with Converge. I kind of, when I listened to The Dusk and Us, I kind of felt like they were getting into that slower, heavier, more methodical, more not spacey, but like more in like that industrial kind of like God flesh kind of sound or uh Jezu, like that kind of like heaviness. But, you know, with the program drums, like it really, I could kind of see that direction. So this, this album makes total sense.
0: I didn't know what the whole Blood Moon deal was, because I know they played one of those big fests over in Europe mm-hmm. and it was a Converge Blood Moon show. And they had Steven Brodsky on additional guitar. I thought maybe it was, they just play different songs from the albums. You know, like some of the lighter stuff. Maybe that is what it is. I have no idea. But whatever is going on with Converge Blood Moon,
1: I love it. Yeah. No, I'm mean, I'm here for it. Every time they do something new, I'm here for it because it's been a, you know, How long have you loved Converge? Since what? 97? 98? <laughs> like I'm I'm going to I'm always going to be here for what they do. I want to hear what they're doing and I want to hear where they take this sound the next time, because it's going to be interesting. Like if this is the trajectory they're going on, they might do a complete 180 and completely go back to something heavy, or they might go even further into this sound, but I'm always interested to hear what they have to do.
0: Yeah. I'm here for it. So, Oh, also my new favorite band, Tommy. Yo, Rolo Tomasi. (laughs) I don't know. I have no idea how this ended up on my playlist, but I was taking the train home to see my folks on Thanksgiving. And I sent Tommy this song. I was like, You have to listen to this. I've listened to this 10 times. And folks, it's on our our New Scene 2021 playlist on Spotify. Search that out. Follow it if you're not following it. We put all of our guests, as long as they're on Spotify, and all of the music that we dig this year. So please check it out. Rolo Tomasi,
1: the song is Cloaked. Yo. Yo. Amazing. They're the... uh... What was the? T- Remember, I drank a bunch of Nyquil the one night, and I was really sick. What was the term I came up with? Brutality. Oh, brutality. <laughs> That's a great name for the. That's a great way to describe this band. This is the essence of brutality. Their music again runs that runs between incredibly heavy and atmospheric, and they do it. Be- they do it so well. Like, there's not a lot of bands out there that can do it. It's like the-, the changes seem too abrupt. Their songs really do seem like. Almost like, and I brought this up to you, it seems like the score to a movie.
0: Yes, it was cinematic. It was beautiful. I listened to it 10 or 15 times, and I love when I get that hit, when I love a song so much, and I listen to it over and over and send it to everybody, and I did with this one. So I think their record is coming out early next year, 2022. So whenever that's dropping, that'll probably be my new favorite record. So excellent work, Rolo Tomasi. And in other music news, Tommy, sadly, we lost Garrett O'Donnell from Planes Mistaken for Stars. Yeah, dude. He passed last week from esophageal cancer. Tommy, you actually broke the news to me. I had no idea. And so I went and I've been meaning to listen to them forever now, as I've mentioned on the show a couple of times. Absolutely love the band. It's right up my alley. And I was just watching some interviews with Garrett and listening to the tunes and Boy, it's it's just really sad news. So condolences to the family and friends of Garrett O'Donnell.
1: They're one of those bands that I was introduced to very early on because they did a three-way split on Deep Elm with um, Appleseed Cast and a band called Race Car Riot. And their tracks are just... It, it, if you haven't ever heard them, just you know go on Spotify, grab a couple of the top tracks, and then watch a live performance of them. They are fucking tour de force on stage. Complete emotion, just fucking heavy and really, really great performers. We lost an absolute amazing person with this. And uh, again, like Keith said, our condolences go out to the friends and family. So some updates from our
0: sponsor, Iodine Recordings. Now, folks, this is the show that keeps giving the new scene. We are the show that keeps giving. And guess what? We've got another giveaway. We have a very coveted, very rare, very sold out. Jerome's Dream presents LP on colored vinyl. So here's what you're going to do. Same deal as last time. Post a picture of this episode, tag us in Iodine Recordings, and you could win the record. And make sure you're following both of us too,
1: because I'm going to check. I'm going to check. What do you think, Tommy? I think we should announce the winner now. The winner is Tommy from the new scene. (laughs) i don't even have a record player what am i talking about
0: (laughs) we are very fair here there's no insider (laughs) trading share a picture of the episode tag us in iodine recordings you
1: could win the record this record is a powerhouse you want it trust me and you you guys have no idea how much it helps us when you guys tag us in things and repost those because um it really does help us in the algorithm and gets uh more people exposed to the show
0: Yes, so we appreciate it. Thank you. A couple more Iodine updates. They've got a handful of the recent 20-anniversary reissue of Orange Island Shape of Calling cassettes. Cassettes, folks, you know we love those. And they're limited to 100, and they're shipping now. Orange Island is a post-hardcore emo band from Massachusetts, and it's a split release with Friend Club records and Iodine recordings. It's available at both, so pick that up also iodine recordings has new merch including a winter beanie with the woven spaceman logo patch they're available in eight different colors check it out it's cold it's winter time
1: you want it you need it you're gonna get one tommy i'm bald so i need a hat for sure (laughs) 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 there's no there's i i wear a hat until it's april (laughs) (laughs) you're so quick with those responses how do you do it (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Years of being teased, so I tease myself first So no one else can get the chance to do it I love it Alright, so I have some big news now
0: Tommy, are you ready? Oh lord, yes, yeah, let's go For the winner of the Return of the California Takeover LP From War Records We have a winner, are you ready? Yes Okay The winner is
1: whoever the person is that wrote the review i'm about to read (laughs) (laughs) please get in contact with us if you wrote this review please get in contact with us
0: please get in touch with us and folks be honest don't say you did it if you didn't we want to give this individual the record that they won fair and square whoever wrote this review please get in touch with us you won the record the review is by life from loam that's life from l-o-a-m And here's the review. Like a chat with your old friends. Five stars. The show is great. The hosts already felt like old friends after just a few episodes. There's no shortage of content about this music scene, but this show is just a cut above the rest. Thank you so much. Life from Loam. And again, you won the Return of the California Takeover LP. Please get in touch with me. Email newscenepod at iodinerecords.com or just message me on Instagram. I'm always on there. We'll get you the record. Thank you so much for the review. But, folks, now we are going to speak to Chris Teddy of The World is a Beautiful Place, and I am no longer afraid to die. Enjoy. All right, folks, we're here now with Chris Teddy. Chris, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. It's great to have you here, Chris. You know, you've done so much in music with The World is a Beautiful Place. You do so much with audio production as well, and we want to get into all that. But first, Chris, I have to ask you, how are you doing today? I'm good. I can't complain.
2: Uh, Just just working on mix stuff, like since I got back from a tour with uh, The World Is, I've mostly been working, catching up on mixes, rather. Um, So that's been kind of nice to not have to drive like eight hours every day. (laughs) And I just start when I feel like
0: it, start work when I feel like it. How was the tour, by the way? Now, folks, this was a tour with the world headlining, with Bent Knee as direct support and the wonderful gates opening up the show. I mean, how was it overall?
2: Oh, it was great. It was great. We had um like so we had gates on the, the last week of the tour and we had, I think, four different openers, like kind of regionally throughout the country. But the tour overall was was great. Probably one of the best tours we've done in years, actually, which was crazy coming back from everything you know the past couple years but uh yeah it it was it was a good morale boost it it could it could have gone the other way pretty easily but no the the reception was really good the crowds were really respectful it was just fun to like actually play out again something that i didn't think would ever happen again honestly right (laughs) So yeah i was very very excited on how that all went
0: was that tour your first shows back from the whole covid debacle which is still going on of course but you know now there's some shows
2: Yeah, yeah. The last show we had played was, I think, in December of 2019. Uh, We played uh, something called Champagne Jam in Philly at the Fillmore with a band called um, The Front Bottoms. And yeah, that was the last time we had played before everything got crazy. We had a week of writing in February of 2020, and that was the last time we had all played together in the same room up until rehearsal for the tour somehow in between there in between february of 2020 and may of uh, 2021 we did a double lp but we all weren't in the studio at the same time
0: when you guys start playing again do you find that you have to relearn how to do things like i'm starting an, a band now for the first time in years and some when we don't play for a couple of weeks i forget how to tune i don't know what i'm doing like i forget how to play parts of songs do you do you experience anything like that
2: sort of but honestly when we started i'd say it was it was different doing new songs from our most recent record but when we when we were at rehearsal and we were playing the old songs that we had played a million times on various tours through the years it clicked like immediately of course there was little things we had to like brush up on but it felt like no time had passed which was really trippy but you know like trying to figure out where i had to change guitar pedals and stuff is definitely a a little bit of a learning curve to remember that again. But otherwise it like felt pretty natural. I mean, cause we've played together for so many years at this point that I don't know. It's just kind of like, we all know what the other person's kind of going to do.
0: That makes sense. And how was tour different in the age of COVID? Is there more restrictions? Is there less hanging out? Like how does it compare to before?
2: Oh yeah. It's definitely, it's very different. So on this tour, we were trying to be really strict on everything. So, no one was allowed backstage if they weren't on the tour. There's no like, oh, my friend wants to come hang out backstage. There's none of that. We always had bands wear masks throughout the show. I mean, we wouldn't wear them when we played uh, on stage, but usually there's a pretty big, separate, decent separation between us and the crowd. There was a couple nights where I definitely wore a mask because uh, it was kind of a weird situation. Like Florida w- was kind of weird like the sound guy at the venue put up a big stink about even having to wear a mask. And that was generally kind of like a weird, that was a weird one, but yeah, we, we stayed in like, like motel or hotel stuff every night. Um, we didn't, we didn't stay at like people's houses. Cause it's just like more points of like, just like risk um, throughout and yeah, we we would take tests every week, like COVID tests every week to get into Canada. We also had to take, P- everyone had, on the tour had to take PCR tests. And there was a lot more paperwork going in to Canada than normal times. It's always like a bit of an ordeal to get in. And we only had one show in Toronto. And trying to schedule PCR tests for everyone on the tour was a nightmare. I mean, our manager did that for us. And he was on the tour with us filling in on guitar, but... He was on the phone for hours trying to get everyone in because because like CVS wasn't used to like oh I'm bringing nine people in yeah. <laughs> and we're all going to be in the same vehicle and we all have to get tested at the same time like we can't do it over the course of a couple days or something and yeah it was a lot a lot more strict stuff overall with the shows and and like trying to m- make sure that people in the audience was like wearing masks and being respectful and some shows had vaccine requirements some didn't because of more like uh the regulations per state like it changed per state and just like a lot of stressful stuff honestly but even with all that it was still like awesome like once you get in the groove of that it's like fine and if everyone's on the same page and you lay out the the ground rules before the tour then there's no there's no guessing oh like you know i didn't realize we had to do that sort of like thing you know it it we, we didn't do it pretty well, but there was definitely a few stressful nights. I can't deny that.
0: In a sense, is it good that all these restrictions are in place? Because you have an out if you want it. And what I mean is, like, I'm pretty introverted, right? And I might not want to talk to anybody before the show. So if I'm at the show and I'm backstage, I can be like, ah, oh, yeah, you know, because of the restrictions, I can't really come see anybody. Sorry.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was actually... Really cool to not have people end up coming backstage because i I love seeing friends it's awesome, but there's always like you, you like drive all day and I do a lot of the driving I did all the driving on this tour, but I do a lot of the driving I, I do and which I enjoy it, but it definitely takes a lot out of you. so you get to the show, you load in, you sound check, and then you have like an hour or two to just like chill, and that's really all you have throughout the day, and you're constantly around people. And it's just stressful to like, oh, so-and-so is coming to the show and then they're bringing their cousin and then they're going to come backstage and they're going to hang out, but they're going to maybe awkwardly sit in the corner because everybody's tired. (laughs) Or, you know, you might talk for like 10 or 15 minutes, but then they're in there for like an hour or two. And it's just kind of like, it it can be a little weird. And like, I just wanted to chill out. Like, there's so many people on the tour. I got my social like thing any Any need of social interaction was just sorted from everyone on the tour like I was fine.
0: I mean, in your band alone there's like seven people with the crew right that's enough right there
2: yeah we had we we brought a merch person in front of house, so we had we actually had oh and we had we had um our keyboard player's partner with us because he's filming he's in the process of filming a documentary for us so we Ooh. had we had nine people in the van. Uh, <laughs> so it's like a summer camp and I'm used to like touring with like a lot of people, even in my pre my band previous to world is we would bring a friend or two on tour with us all, all the time. So there was at least like six people in the van all the time. Like, so it was like fun, but yeah, I'm used to that, but that's, I got, I got a lot of social interaction already throughout the day. So I can get to the show kind of chill
0: and then play the set what's your pre-show process? What do you do to get ready? Like me, I'm so keyed up before the show. I'm super nervous. I want everything to go perfectly. I want everyone to be here on time. I want no mistakes. So I get on early. I watch a little bit of Twitch to unwind. I listen to some ambient video game music, and that puts me in the mindset to get going. What's your process? What do you need to do?
2: Let me think. I I kind of, like, need to be alone for like, a little bit. <laughs> like, like as in, like, I might go outside and, like, go for a walk and kind of get away from stuff for a minute. And, like, thankfully, since we're usually headlining, all our stuff is backlined anyway. So, you know, getting on stage is pretty easy. Like, I can just pull my pedal board from, like, behind my amp, and it's all set up, and I just plug in a couple things, and I'm good to go. So, so there's no actual, like, extra legwork to get the set going, but yeah, I kind of just have to be alone for a little bit. I think to get like, I kind of in the headspace of it. Um, I, I probably watch like drum playthrough videos and stuff too. Like I, I found myself watching a lot of videos by uh, Eloy Casagrande. Uh, he's the drummer of Sepultura.
1: Oh uh, of yeah. 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 I follow him on Instagram.
2: Yeah. He, that he's one of my favorite drummers. And so even though I don't play drums, I, I mean, I produce a lot of, drums for bands editing and mixing and everything but I don't know that kind of got that kind of would get me in the headspace too just like (laughs) I don't know why just watching that guy play drums I was like all right like here's a couple videos all right I'm good it was like it was like drinking a coffee for me (laughs) (laughs) or or I was also like drinking a like a Red Bull or two before the set every night (laughs) Uh, but that's yeah nothing crazy not like I need to light sage and do this crazy shit because we toured with brand new years ago and their guitarist, one of their guitarists was like lighting sage backstage and like walking around the green room and he's like doing a
0: whole thing. And I was like, what is happening right now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like, I'm with you, Chris. I just, I need to watch my stuff online and I need to step outside for a moment just to be away from everybody and then come back in and do it.
2: Yeah. Yeah, just kind of, I also like, I'll put my earplugs in like 10 or 15 minutes before we go on stage. Cause like, I kind of have to like feel normal with them. Like I kind of have to acclimate to how they feel and then I'm like, fine. In a weird way, they almost make me feel like I'm in my own world cause it shuts out so much stuff outside. Cause they, they were, they reduce so much sound that it's like, it's just like, I'm so um, detached from everything, but it's kind of sick. Well, let's get to know you a little bit, Chris, where'd you grow up? I grew up in Connecticut, which I still live in Connecticut, but I grew up in a town called um, Berlin, which is the exact center of the state. So it's like two ish hours from New York or um, Boston and maybe an hour and a half from Providence. So pretty easy, like growing up in that spot and trying to like tour because you can hit some major cities like super easy.
0: Nice. What kind of town is that?
2: It's just like a normal suburban town town like i mean there's like a bunch of farmland when i was growing up and then they, it got all developed right before the housing market crashed in like 2008 like the whole recession stuff as i was in high school and middle school it all kind of went from a ton of farmland to just like really developed like houses like single family houses and stuff and like cul-de-sacs and stuff yeah the type of shit i don't know that like pop punk bands sing about they're like oh i don't want to be in my hometown like just that. it's nothing unique there's like a town fair every year everybody pretends they're like from the south for a week and then like i don't know it's it's weird
0: yeah same for us you know your typical suburban thing and then uh, wanting to get out and all that good stuff
2: yeah yeah i mean thankfully there was a lot of um, friends of mine in high school who were very into music and played in bands and i I was in marching band for all four years of high school. And I remembered this, this fact the other day was that I I made an agreement with my parents that I would do marching band for all four years of high school. And that was like the end of eighth grade. And the, the, the trade or like agreement that I had with them was that they would get me a DOD grunge pedal. (laughs) It was like, looking back was like $20 (laughs) and I sold myself for four years of marching band. I was like, yeah, this is totally cool. I think Kurt Cobain used this pedal, right? Like this is all I need. (laughs) So like looking, like I'm glad I did marching band. It's how I met a lot of people and who, who played music and they played, they played in bands and through those people, I went to a lot of shows and stuff like
0: that. So I'm thankful for that. So what was your entry point into scene related stuff? Did you start out in hardcore, emo, post-hardcore? What's your what's your thing? It,
2: like the the actual start was like I was in middle school and my dad had a CD burner. So I would burn CDs for my friends and that's how I got into like I guess like rock and metal. Like some of the first CDs I got through that were like Deftones around the fur, Queens of the Stone Age, songs for the deaf and stuff like that. So that was like my Step like stepping into like rock stuff and then finding like Rage Against the Machine. And that was a big one for me. And that that led to more like punk hardcore stuff that I really connected to. So finding out about Rage Against the Machine, I would always like try to look up stuff online and be like, oh, I want to find live videos of them. I want to find what bands they were in. And you find Zach De La Roca's band Inside Out. And then it's a quick pipeline to a lot of other cool like punk and hardcore stuff um like fugazi minor threat all this stuff branches out pretty easily and so that's like stuff that i really connected with pretty hard i was into like a lot of like technical guitar stuff i guess in high school too there there was like always like there was always like i liked really polar opposite stuff like on my eighth grade trip uh to dc i i got two cds it was green day dookie and then pantera vulgar display of power and then the next year, like freshman year of high school, I went to Newberry Comics for the first time when I was like 14. I got two CDs. I got minor Threat first demo tape, and then I got the first Megadeth record on CD. Like, so I guess those two things, like the punk and hardcore stuff, was big for me.
0: That's funny you mentioned the eighth grade trip to D.C. I always have vivid memories of listening to Presidents of the United States of America and Rage Against the Machine Evil Empire. Those were my two. That's
2: good. That's good. Yeah. I mean, Evil Empire is definitely my favorite rage record as a side note. Um, but yeah, I think I got I probably got Evil Empire somewhere around then. I I I, my parents had given me like a hundred bucks to spend for the whole week and then I spent most of it at like an FYE on the way down. Like we went to (laughs) like a hometown buffet that was like part of a mall. And the teachers were like, All right, kids, you get like half hour to do whatever you want. So I went to FYE and of course I Bought those two CDs, but it's like the early 2000s. So CDs were like $25 or $20 at a mall each. In high school, you know, I, I made friends with like a lot of people who were older than me. So they could, they ended up being able to drive me to shows. It's just that I connected with people who were like a couple years older than me. More than like anyone, more than people like in my grade really, coincidentally. So, so they would bring me to, the, the, those people would bring me to shows a lot. And I remember going to see like Against Me when I was like 15 and uh, just like a lot of random, like local punk and hardcore bands. Actually one of those people who who would drive me to shows. his name is Greg horrible. And he he's like, he's a booking agent now at um, APA and APA is who, who books us, but he played in world is for quite a number of years with me. And he also was in my previous band, my heart to joy. He books bands like Alex G and stuff, a little more like indie leaning stuff. But uh, we were like, close in high school so like he would drive me to a lot of my first shows and then another friend of ours his name's alan um he plays in self-defense family and he was like also someone who we would go to shows with play shows like local shows with and stuff like that he also played in my old band my heart to joy so that was like my starting point with like starting to find bands and then like alan in particular would give me mp3 cds so he'd be like oh you should check out dillinger escape plan or fear before the march of flames and drive like jehu and you know that really would help
0: shape like my musical taste tell us about some of your early show going experiences and who really inspired you like how did you decide hey i want to start doing this too
2: honestly like the the starting like the earlier part was seeing a lot of live videos before i could really go to shows like seeing a lot of live videos of like rage against the machine and stuff as a kid online and then I don't know, just something about the energy with it just felt right and it was like a a place I could go and there was none of like the I guess jocks or any of the the people I didn't want to see in high school. None of them were there. It was like people people were like very invested in the music of whatever show we we're at and I was like, "Oh, I already can I already love how all this stuff is. Oh, there's a lot of like-minded people here." I didn't know this existed. Oh my God, there's like a life beyond like my high school. There's like things beyond that. It's not just like, oh, the like 200 people in my graduating class or something. Like, I feel like a lot of people that I grew up with probably just got stuck in that sort of thing. Like, oh, uh, that's my social life is just the people in in my high school. But thankfully, I was like, oh, there's other people outside of this. Like I can be friends with a few kids like a half hour away from here. Like, even, even though that felt like super, super far when you're like 15, but I don't know, just, just being able to find like-minded people who were like, oh, this, like playing in a band is all that I get, I care about right now. And I was like, I connect with that. Like, you know, I, I don't care what's going, what event's going on in my high school. I don't want to be there. I don't want to yeah. <laughs> be around any of this, you know? And, and, you know, like in high school, there was, a, I mean, I went to so many shows in high school, but some some of the standouts were, I saw, what, I think it was 2008, my senior year. I saw Converge, The Red Chord, Genghis Tron, and Baroness. And yeah. I had seen, I had seen actually, one of the craziest shows for me was seeing Genghis Tron play in a frat house at a college that was like 20 minutes from me. And I remember going, I was it was 2006, I was 16. I don't even think I had a license yet, but some friends of mine and I, we, we went to go see Genghis Tron play literally like 10 people in this frat house. And I remember finding them on metal injection. Cause I would metal injection. I don't know if they still have it, but he had like a podcast or he just played tons of bands. So I'd find like between the buried and me and Dillinger that I remember watching like the Dillinger, like Virgin Megastore headwalk video. Do you know? Yeah, what
1: yeah. <laughs> I remember
2: seeing that like the day after it happened, like, and I was like, whatever that is, I want to see that live. Like I want, <laughs> whatever that is, that that must be normal, right? And um, yeah, I, I went to like a bunch of like metal shows in like Massachusetts as well, cause, like right over the border. I think it was Holyoke. There was the Waterfront Tavern. So I remember seeing like uh, Beneath the Massacre <laughs> there, like Tony Danza Tap Dance Extravaganza. That was getting more into like the metal Corey stuff, but I, I still loved it. It was like high energy, just like techie stuff as well. It kind of both sides of my brain were like stoked.
0: You know, Chris, reading about you, it seems like you still like a good amount of heavy music, even though the band primary band you're in isn't the heaviest. And I really appreciate that because, you know, we still, Tommy and I still dig a lot of heavy music. And it just kind of bums me out when someone's like, yeah, I don't really do that anymore.
2: Yeah. It's like, it's like people think they have to like, oh, I'm 30, can't listen to that. It's just got to be like light indie rock or, or whatever. It's funny seeing people like go through phases. And I've I've noticed it even with World Is. And I, I, love, I love tons of like emo stuff. Like to any of the metal kids that I grew up with, I was like the emo kid. I remember like walking through the hallway once in high school and this one kid in my grade saw me and I was wearing, I was either a Fear Before the March of Flames shirt or a fall of Troy hoodie, but I was, and I was listening to a 43%. Is it 43%? For, whatever. Yeah. Dillinger. yeah. I was listening to them on my iPod. I distinctly remember this. And the kid started walking towards me and I could hear him saying something. I took my earbud out and he's like, fuck you, you fucking emo. And what? I was like, all right. <laughs> and, and like, it's funny that like, even years later, you know, now playing in world is for like over 10 years. It's like, no matter what we release, some, some, asshole online is like, "Oh, it's just fucking emo. And, and I'm like, all right, I'm still, I'm still here. But like to the emo kids that listen to us, like I'm the metal guy. Oh, so to yeah. any of my like metal hardcore friends, I'm the emo guy.
0: I'm in this weird thing. So depending on, depending on the target demographic, you're some type of guy. I'm some type of guy, but I'm not their guy. <laughs> yeah, I get it. Like, there was a brief period where I threw these DJ parties mm-hmm. in the late 2000s. And the, I remember these guys would be like, oh, yeah, you're like into DJs and dance clubs. And I'd be like, no, I'm not at all. Like, I literally don't, I literally can't name one electronic artist. I just, <laughs> I organize things. So you, you, you just gather these associations.
2: Yeah, for sure. For sure. Actually, the DJ thing made me think. When I was in high school I saw Girl Talk. You ever do you know who Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I saw that. It was sick live like, you know, even though it wasn't like punk or hardcore stuff or post rock. It was like I, I was just into it. I, I was like interested in how he did it. I just wanted to see it live. It was it was cool. Like I wouldn't go to a club or anything ever, but seeing that was sick or that's the same frat house I saw um Genghis Tron at in 2008. I snuck in because they started like checking people's IDs because like kids would start showing up to these shows. But I, I, I climbed through a window and I, I saw Bear hands play, which I, I don't know if you're familiar with them, but uh, a couple of those guys are from Connecticut and they played, they played in a band called in pieces Oh, yeah. Like, Bare Hands is, like, one of my favorite bands and has been for years. But it's, like, totally, like, indie-leaning stuff. I mean, they've even toured with, like, Foles and, like, 21 Pilots and stuff like that. But um, I don't know. It was just, like, I I just wanted to check out anything I could.
0: Yeah, yeah. In pieces, I used to tour with this day forward to do merch for them and stuff and in pieces was always around they played together a lot
2: oh okay and did did vadim vadim was in this day forward yes
0: yeah. yes he's a frequent guest on the show oh yes. he be so hyped to listen to this
2: <laughs> yeah that's cool i've never i've never met him but uh my studio partner greg thomas is uh working on a mix for vadim he has a solo record and i i've worked on it too but i i haven't talked to vadim through the process but i have like a decent amount of mutual friends with him
0: yes um, yes we're gonna hook you guys up you're gonna love him now you mentioned <laughs> yeah. greg thomas i'm gonna jump forward yeah i i was reading about you more chris and i saw that you uh were a studio apprentice with greg yes
2: yeah yeah i punished him uh <laughs> for months and was like, I want to get into recording. You know, the typical, like, I was, like, wanting to get in in any way I could. Uh, you know, the typical, like, I'll wrap cables if I have to kind of thing. And, you know, after months of it, he was like, all right, fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's, I, I, I ended up, like, meeting him because my old band, uh, we toured with a band called Hostage Com that Greg had uh, produced, like, multiple records for. And through them, we recorded vocals for my band, my old band's last EP and recorded the vocals with Greg. And we had a good experience. And so that's like kind of how I came to the studio Silver Bullet for the first time. And I was like, this place is awesome. I didn't know a recording studio didn't have to feel like an office space because we have a bunch of like horror memorabilia, movie memorabilia. And it's just like a fun space to create stuff. And it's, it's not like meant to be like, Oh yes, you are here for eight hours. And the day rate is, it's this many, like this much per hour. And we will like, you know, make you feel like you're just in a, like a Walmart or something, you know, like the lighting's just like really like all the fluorescent bulbs. And I don't know, I I had recorded at some places when I was in high school and it felt like too clinical and like
1: very sterile weird. Yeah, Yeah. You're like,
2: Oh, yes, I must sit like this and play the E chord and just like feel (laughs) like a robot human and stuff. And it's like, no, like we can just talk about movies and like make music and it doesn't feel, yeah, it doesn't feel sterile and stagnant. Yeah, um, I started interning here with him in 2010, end of 2010. And my old band, My Heart to Joy, was in the process of breaking up basically. So it kind of worked out where I transitioned into doing a lot, focusing on a lot more studio stuff. Coincidentally, a few months later, I ended up joining World Is. And when I joined World Is, I was like, Oh, this is just going to be like a side thing. I'll probably do like a couple records with them and get to see a couple studios, do a couple tours. That'll be it. Who knows? Obviously it turned into a much bigger thing than that. But it was, I, I guess it was probably for the best that I went into it with, like, not much expectation. I was like, oh, I'll we'll get to make music with a with some friends of mine and, you know, whatever. But my my main focus before going into World His was recording. And, I mean, it still is. It's like a 50-50 split at this point. But, uh, yeah, that I mean, Greg, Greg um, he's, like, vegan and straight edge. And, you know, I, I've been straight edge since I was, like, 16. So it was cool to, like, connect with someone like that. And he, he toured with a lot of bands that I grew up listening to. So that was just like really cool. He's like, I think he's like seven years older than me. So, so all the shows that I wished I went to when I was like a teen, he would have played or like been to, like I never could, I was too young to go to any Hellfest. He was at Hellfest, like stuff like that.
0: Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I was at a, I think I was at three Hellfests. So I got, I probably got to see a lot of those shows that you wished you were at.
2: Yeah, yeah. It's it's funny. It's just like, I don't know. I think like Ray Harkins posted like a Poison the Well show from like 2000. It was like 2001 or something. And I was like, damn, like, when I was 15, that would literally was like, I wished I would have been there. But I was 15 in 2005. Like I was, I was eleven in two thousand one. There's no way I even knew what Poison the Well was.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Most of the people we talk to are older than us. I got to say, it's refreshing to talk to someone younger than us. For sure.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. How old are you guys?
1: Thirty nine. Yeah, both of us are thirty nine. Oh, okay.
2: Yeah, I think Greg's thirty nine. So it's like I don't, and like a lot of my friends are older than me. I'm the youngest one in world is, and I for years was the youngest one on
0: our tours. That's my experience, too. I I tend to hang out with people older than myself.
2: Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm 32, or I'm about to be 32 in like a week.
0: Well, happy early birthday. We're Thanks. glad you're here. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. So tell us about Joining Forces with The World Is. So the
2: first tour I did with World Is was January of 2011. And I was actually just taking photos and driving because I, I basically was like, at the end of 2010, I was focusing more on, like, taking photos at shows and then uh, interning at Silver Bullet. And so World Is took me on a tour taking photos. And then soon after, I started filling in on bass for them. I think in February or March of 2011, they hit me up and were like, next week we're doing a tour to South by Southwest, but our bassist has, like, a new job, so he can't do it. Would you want to do it? And I was like, all right, fuck it. Like I hate going, I hated college. And I just went into school the next day. And I was like, to all my professors, I was like, yeah, I can't be in school next week. And they're like, what do you mean? Next week it's midterm. So I was like, I don't know. Can't do it. (laughs) And and like, I I had like already reached a point where I didn't mind like missing school for shows or anything. Because I was always starting my semesters like a week or two late because of tours with my previous band. So I, that, that year I, I, I did all my midterms and finals the same day. So like I would do a final for one class at like 9 AM. And then at like noon, I would do my midterm. (laughs) Like my teachers rescheduled all my stuff. Like one of my teachers made me bring in a poster from the South by Southwest showcase that we played. And It was huge. It was like, because it was like an all day thing for Top Shelf Records. It was like 12 bands or more. And, and like, I brought it in and she's like, Where's your name? And I was like, What do you mean my name? She's like, Any show I've been to, they've listed all the members. And I was like, It's not Louis Armstrong. You're (laughs) going to see, like, it's a fucking band. Like, look at how big this poster is. And I got into this huge argument with her before class and it delayed class. She's like, I don't think I can accept this. And I was like, why not? Look at this. <laughs> I was <laughs> like, I'll give you photos from me playing there. Like, all this shit. And, like, everyone in class was like, who the fuck is this guy? He's just, like, never here anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but yeah. Uh, and then officially in May of 2011, I joined World Is. It was at a show for um, La Dispute, former thieves, native, and... Defeater world is opened it the connecticut date of that show and then they asked me to be in the band so then i started i mean touring with them like immediately like because they already had stuff lined up they were like pretty active like every weekend they were gone and stuff like that so it already worked out because i knew the songs i had to learn some of them on guitar now instead of bass but basically i started doing that and i was in college full time still and and recording bands like i started taking on my own projects august of 2011 and that's when Greg started touring with Misery Signals. So he he went on some long tour with them for like the whole fall. So I was taking on my own projects by myself at the studio, working on a couple like last remaining things that he had at that time, like odds and ends of a couple records, going to school full time and writing a record with World Is and playing shows like every weekend. Like it was just like nonstop. Like that was like, it, it was like, I just hit the ground running with that. There was like, since then, it's like, I take a day off like once a month. Like I don't, (laughs) at most, I don't know. Yeah, it's like it's like weird like looking back on any of it and then realizing like how much time has passed because in my head, I'm always looking ahead. I'm like, oh, what's the next thing? What's the next thing? Not like, what was 11 years ago? And, but it's cool doing like interviews and then thinking back to it and like how crazy some of it is, you know, like, oh, we've like, you know, world is, we just had like a junk van that we got for really cheap from a friend. And and then we're like, yeah, let's just go out on tour for like two weeks with it. If it breaks down, I don't know what happens. We'll just do it. You know, (laughs) like, or with like my previous band, you know, just like, oh, we bought a van for $1,500. We drove it once before we left for a four week full US. I was 19. I'd never played out of state before, maybe once. But like it was like oh let's just do it I don't know if it fucks up I don't have a backup plan and that was like kind of the thing I guess for years it's like I'm just gonna do it I don't know I'm not gonna overthink it I just I'm just gonna commit
0: I think that's the way to do it it's like a young man's game you're you're young you're crazy you got nothing to lose it's like let's just get in this van we don't know if it's gonna work and go on this national tour
2: yeah it's like a risk you have to make you know and, and even 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 like taking on bands when I was like. 20 21 like i was still like fresh to recording it's not like i was charging that much but looking back i'm like damn i didn't really know what i was doing but like you know you kind of have to just jump in with it you
0: know and like dive in head first how much re- experience did you have in the studio before you started working with greg
2: like a couple high school bands of mine had like recorded but nothing like crazy it was like i remember like one of my high school bands recorded with a guy we won a contest on MySpace to win a free studio day at some studio that is like in Bristol, Connecticut. It doesn't exist anymore. It was just like some guy had it for like six months and then was like, oh, recording is probably not what I should be doing. My experience with that was like, all right, I played through the song like twice on guitar. Did you mess up? I Maybe. Oh, it sounds <laughs> good. And like the guy, the guy had like a wall of twisted tea like like boxes of twisted tea. Like it's burned into my brain. Like he had I've never seen so much twisted tea in my life. <laughs> like empty cans, full cans, boxes just everywhere. And that was like <laughs> he's like, All right, I have like sixteen tracks I can record to. That's it. Like that's you know, it. <laughs> you're here for seven hours, that's all. <laughs> um, so it was just stuff like that. But like I I would do like my band's demos, nothing crazy, but I was just really hungry for it. You know, when you're like 19 and you're like, oh, this sure SM57 mic that's $99 is I have to like save so for so long to try to get it. I'm in college, like, you know, eating ramen every day. Like, it's like a little different. You know, you're just like, oh, I have GarageBand. I'm just going to make it work. Like, I don't know.
0: You just start with whatever resources you have and you build from there. I get caught up in this mindset of, I have to build the best thing. I have to get the best stuff and I can't do it unless I have all the pieces in place, but that's really not the way you should do it. You gotta, you gotta get what you need and just build it from there. You can't start out at the top.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, it's like, um, I guess a lot of stuff that I've had like, or that I've done, it's like more from this like quote unquote punk thing of like, um, okay. Like, world is when we were starting or or my old band like we didn't have a booking agent we're just like booking our own tours we just like message someone like hey you live in grand rapids (laughs) like like we found your band on myspace like would you be able to do a show for us this date you know like and sometimes they'd respond and then you book a full u.s tour and you know you're just out doing it like that's how like i met people in law dispute it was like 2009 my old band just messaged them on myspace because we searched like some genre like on on myspace oh we need a band in grand rapids oh it looks like people like this band i don't know who they are and you know they put a show on for us um, yeah stuff like that but yeah it was just like just jumping in so um yeah with like the recording stuff i didn't have too much experience but greg definitely taught me a lot and then I just would spend every night like before bed I would just be reading forums like constantly like if I could watch a video I would like YouTube or anything like just trying to see what people did or watching any music documentary on like a record happening you know like when I was a teen I would watch um Metallica year and a half in the life Oh yeah the black album yes yeah I that was like like I even though I didn't have much studio experience as a teen, like I would watch that so much that that's partly where I was like, Oh, recording. That's probably what I want to do. Like, I I obviously want to play live, but whatever's happening in this is like awesome. Um, Even though like they're on a million dollar budget or something, just the idea of it, like being able to dissect the music. I was like, they are so focused on this record. That is like all they're consumed by. That is awesome. Like, like connected with just being kind of consumed with, whatever art you're creating so talking about the world is uh-huh
0: when you look back on the history of the band what's a major turning point for you in the band where you can look back and say like okay this is really happening people are starting to take notice this thing is picking up
2: so it felt like it picked up pretty quick like from the get-go from what i was used to we used to joke about like, oh, we haven't had a bad show yet. And there was like a long stretch where we had like a lot of really good shows. I mean, but in our head at that time it was like 20 people coming to a basement in like Wisconsin or something. Like I, that's oh, this is amazing. Um but the real big turning point was in 2013. Basically, we started touring full time. It was right when I finished college basically and we sort of dropped out, but it doesn't matter. And so um we we started touring a lot and just all these things just started falling into place. We did like a three week tour in January of 2013. And then all of a sudden we got hit up by someone who was like, do you want to open for a band called Finch? They're doing a reunion tour. And we we're like, what? Okay, sure. And we had never done a package tour before. And we did like, it was like two weeks or something. It was like the biggest shows I've ever played up until that point. It was like, Philly was twenty four hundred people Chicago was over a thousand like I wasn't used to people grabbing stuff out of our van to load into the venue like <laughs> like having to check oh what is a monitor like mix I don't know I'm used to playing a basement and I put my I go down into the basement, put my amp down, plug in my pedal board, and we play that's it but it was it was really in twenty thirteen our our first LP leaked and we played a show in Boston the next day and the show was crazy it was like like people knew all the words to the songs from our new record it was like it was like a switch flipped because we had played some of those songs for like a year and people would just kind of like stare at us at like basement shows or like vfw halls and stuff and then all of a sudden our record leaked two months early to its release we played a show in boston and the thing had like a couple hundred kids it was like pandemonium like everyone knew the words the the place was there were so many people in it there was so much moisture that there was water dripping from the ceiling oh. i could barely move because the floor was so wet
1: that's like a <laughs> old first unitarian shows at the at the church in philly that's when in the summertime it would get so humid like you would you couldn't even dance like it would just slide across the floor
2: yeah, the, the place that we played was set up very similar to First Unitarian Church, and that's where I was like, oh, I think people care, for real, like, aside from, oh, it's amazing, 20 people came out to see us in Delaware, <laughs> like, you know, that was, like, a couple hundred people, and it, like, all, it just, like, picked up from there, it was like, oh, we got a review on Pitchfork, oh, like, we're doing a full US tour, and people are actually coming out, and then... Brand new asked us to do a tour with them. It was just us and them. And then Caspian asked us to do a tour with them. And it just like, I don't know. It was just like, happened. I would just like get a message every few weeks Hey, we're playing this crazy thing. And they'd be like, What do you mean? This is insane. Like, you
0: know? That has to be the best feeling. It's like you invest all this time and energy and struggle into these creative pursuits and. You know, having the wind at your back finally and being carried and doing all these great things has got to be an amazing feeling. Like I can't imagine playing these songs for a year and then all of a sudden everyone's yelling the words back to me like one day to the next. That's that's got to be the best feeling ever.
2: Yeah, yeah, it was super trippy. And there's like there's like video footage of that show on YouTube. I was like at first I was really bummed that the record leaked and then I I realized that it actually did more good because it was still in a time where streaming wasn't really a thing. It was, but it wasn't. It's was like twenty so like summer of twenty thirteen and like people had to like actively get a media fire link or like torrent it. There's like the search for it heightened the the experience. And like it's I almost feel like Old man yells at Sky. I'm like, oh, I wish I remember when people would have to search online for the record and not just like, oh, it's out on Spotify. Cool. All right. I'll check it out two months later.
0: 2013 was around that cutoff point where you couldn't just Google uh, the world is a beautiful place, Mediafire, and grab the album. And it shifted towards streaming services.
2: Yeah. It was like right at the cusp. That was like right, probably around when I even got like a Spotify account. So now it's like,, uh, it's just records streaming everywhere, I guess, like <laughs> whatever, there's nothing really exclusive about it, <laughs> yeah, which feels like a little we I'm still like adjusting to that a little,
0: you know, in a sense, it's like the record is almost the least important part about it to so much of the public, which is which is strange, you know, now it's almost become more focused on the live show and t- shirts, I guess,
2: yeah. I feel you, yeah, or the the vinyl variant, like, people yeah. be like, oh man, I wish I could buy this record, but the Purple's sold out, and I'm like, what? It's the same record.
1: You know the black one sounds exactly the same, right? <laughs>
2: yeah, like, <laughs> come on, like, I could see if you were bummed about maybe the 180 gram, but like, you're not gonna buy it now, because like, the Clear is sold out? Like, because I've seen so many comments like that. People are like, I guess I'll just find it used, and I'm like, damn it. <laughs>
0: That is weird because I collect vinyl a little bit. I'll buy stuff here and there, but I don't even have a record player, and I don't even really care about records. But I'll the marketing works because I'll go online and see like, oh, this nicer looking color is sold out, so I guess I won't get it. And yeah. I don't
2: even care. Yeah, it's like it's like oh, out of two hundred fifty, it means I must get it. There's like the <laughs> sense of immediacy, like I get it. But it's like yeah. I, I, having like worked on the record, I'm like. Oh, I put so much time into it. What do you mean you don't want to buy it now? <laughs>
0: <laughs> exactly. Let's talk about your creative process a bit. Now, Tommy and I were talking about this a little bit in the first segment and mm-hmm. you know, the band incorporates so many different interesting elements. We've got a lot of people working on the music and I think the band sounds really unique compared to many other bands in uh, in your stratosphere. So, how does it all come together? How do we how do we structure a song? How do we come to an agreement on everything?
2: Okay, so because I I work with artists every day, all day, every day when I'm home. And World Is is definitely the way it functions is different than any other band I've worked with. And usually, you know, you have like, oh, this is our guitarist, so-and-so. He writes all the guitar parts and he structures the song. He brings it to the band and they might change a couple things and that's it. But with us, it's like really collaborative in the way the writing is which i i thrive off of already i kind of have to be in a room with our drummer to like kind of write stuff i can't just sit home i'll come up with like a part idea but i can't do much else unless i have someone to interact with to like get those building blocks going because when i was growing up i'd always write with a drummer like whatever band i was in in high school like it was me and the drummer would write stuff together. So with World Is, you know, we kind of jam stuff out. So someone will have an idea and present it and be like, I have this synth line. What do you think we can do with it? And it's a lot of like kind of improvising as we go. And I'll record our practices live. So like I'll have like a basic mic set up on everything and kind of just record it. Like, say we play for, like, 20 minutes straight just, like, messing with something. I'll record that whole thing, and we might be like, hey, there was one section we thought was really cool. I'll cut that out of it, and we'll, like, save it for later. But it's a lot of just kind of, like, feeling it out. And there's no, like, one songwriter. A lot of people think, like, oh, man, like, they like uh, this one person must have wrote all their stuff for years. And it's like, no, it was just never like that. I think on our newer material, I've had a lot more hand in the the building blocks of the songs, just because I'm like the only guitarist in the band now. But I mean, for years it was just like, all right, you know, we'll just play for a few hours or something and see what kind of comes of it. And there's a lot of stuff we'll cut, but there's a lot of stuff we'll keep. And like, you know, a lot of songs will start with our bassist even having like, oh, I have an idea for this melodic line. And we might move that to a, guitar or another or synth or something and same with starting point of a synth or guitar part it might move to another instrument but someone in the band will present it and we kind of play around with who's going to play it and where it fits and stuff like that um and no one really no one i think the thing with it is that everyone has a a lot of trust in one another and what the other person's going to do so when we were talking earlier about oh how was it like uh, playing with everyone after like a couple years of not actually being together, it all kind of like connected really easily because we have that sort of trust that we 've had for many years now i mean I've, our drummer steve i 've played with him since two thousand ten he He played drums in my old band towards the end, so what is it almost like eleven years now or something? I, whatever it is like it 's crazy so like um and with anyone else in the band it 's been at least seven years eight years for anyone else that's in the band that we've all been playing together. So, you know, you kind of get a sense of like, Oh, I think this person might do this or that. And you kind of play off that. And it's, it's almost like, I guess, um, it's kind of like having a conversation because when I was in jazz band in high school, they always would talk about like, there's a few different things. It was like music when you're writing together, it's like having a conversation. There's like a, there's a push and pull with it and you kind of have to interact with one another. and, there's a lot of stuff in world is that's layering a lot of simple parts together. So I might not write very, I mean, I have some technical stuff on this record, but there's a lot of guitar layers that come together into one thing. That's like a lot uh, more dense. So there's a lot of that. Like I I remember when I was in jazz band in high school, we had someone come to our school and we had after school, we had like, um, I wouldn't say it was a master class, but it was just kind of like uh, some older jazz musician like talking to us about his process. And he, the one, the main thing I took from it was layering a lot of simple parts on top of one another, and the greater, the whole of that is greater than oh, I have this one really technical thing. So with World is, you know, we have a lot of there's a lot of different timbres in the music too because strings, horns, uh, vibraphone, various percussion stuff, like our drummer. His dad is a music director and like a professional tuba player. So our drummer Steve grew up with like a very wild background in different types of percussion and orchestral stuff rather than like oh I learned this Green Day song on drums and that's it. It was like yeah, he learned a lot of like crazy punk stuff and he used to play in crazy noise bands. I used to we used to refer to him as noise rock Steve because he he played in some insane noise rock band called Brava Spectra, and any time I saw them, it felt like there was a riot happening. It was it was just crazy. He was like 300 BPM the entire time. <laughs> like, it was insane, but like bass amps falling over, guitars feeding back. It was sick. But you know, I think everyone also in the band has a different musical background. Like we all have like our meeting points, but there's a lot people are drawing from a lot of different influences. So there's, there's not like stuff where everyone's trying to sound like the same thing. If you ask anyone in the band, what do you think the song sounds like that we wrote? I guarantee you, everyone in the band would have a diff. They probably have a couple answers and there would be some that overlap, but everyone would at least have one that was wildly different. And it's like, I enjoy that because it's just like tons of stuff coming together, which I I don't know. It's a, I stand by the band being like unique beyond like any other band I've worked with. It's just like, it doesn't make sense, but it does in the <laughs> end. Like it shouldn't, it shouldn't work, but it somehow does.
0: Well, you can hear that. I, I agree with you in the uniqueness. You hear that come through, you hear the layers, you know, just thinking about the songs now I can hear like the guitar part, the synth, the layering on top of each other. And that's a big lesson I've learned I think that's a secret to success for any band is one, being able to incorporate a lot of different elements and two, working together so that everybody has a part because I was a little more ham-fisted in my older days, like, no, this is the song. And I want it to sound like X Uh and in this new band that I'm putting together, you know, I'll come up with a song, but everyone's like, well, let's do this and let's change this. And I, I just let go. I let go and I let all the suggestions in and I want to incorporate everybody's ideas and I don't fight the results are just so much better
2: yeah I agree I agree and and it's like it's something I have to talk to a lot of bands about that like I work with um, thankfully a lot of people are open-minded but I kind of there's a lot of bands I've tried to instill like don't get too attached to your part because just think about how you're gonna serve the song or serve your record and if you're if you're too if you're too like if you're too like close-minded on it you're it's going to be diminishing returns and i used to have like something like that as well personally and i had to let go of that and i always realized like damn i was wrong you know every time like we maybe been writing stuff years ago i'd be like oh, i don't th- know how i feel about that part next every time the next day i'd wake up and be like man that is really good we should just go with that like why did i like make a stink about it you you got to like let other people contribute to it to a degree, you know, like, I, I mean, even though I have a pretty heavy hand in world is because I'm producing the records and engineering them and mixing them, it's easy for me to say, <laughs> like, just let go of your ideas. Um, but I, I think when, when people will send notes on stuff, I will try to be very open and accepting with it and not just like shut it down. I've had my moments we all have, but like, I think that like, when i try to be like well how are just take a second what are this this person trying to say
0: oh okay that's cool so if you're wearing the producer hat and recording your own band the world is how does that go does it ever get weird do you ever have to like really come down on something and be like no we're not doing that tell us about the dynamics
2: um like i have like a little bit but i think i was in the band for a few years before i even recorded anything of ours and i i recorded like a a decent amount of stuff on our first LP, uh, Whenever If Ever, but I did not take that record on like as a whole. And I remember being very conscious of like, I'm not ready to take on a full LP for this band at that time. I was like 22 when we started it. And I was like, that is not the right call. The first thing I did with the band was a, a song that we have on a four-way split that's with Code Orange Kids, Self-Defense Family, and Tiger's Draw. And that was like, I was like, okay, I'll do the one song and see how it is. Like I want to record World Is, but I don't at the same time. And I think it was like a slow build into like working with the band from a production standpoint. So I recorded a lot of stuff that ended up on our first LP. And that was over the course of like a year or something. And I think that kind of eased me in. And then from then on out, I recorded everything pretty much. Yeah. The first thing I fully took on was our EP between bodies in 2014. And then you know, every like seven inch split LP, I think I'm so used to working in a studio environment that like when I'm doing my guitars, like I have to be at Pro Tools, like I have to be like have a hand in it at some way. And our newest record, Illusory Walls was the first time that someone came in as well. Um, Greg Thomas came in. As a co-producer with me and he would record me doing all my guitar parts and he he wrote all the strings on the record and a lot of stuff like that but that was the first time i let someone in on okay you can record me on this world is record that i'm producing and it like it took years for that to happen and it worked out because we we had a really good working relationship already but in the end i mean i still edited all my most a lot of my guitars even though I punished Greg with a lot of the tapping parts. He had to, <laughs> he, he, he had to comp a lot of those himself, uh, which was probably way harder than what I did myself for editing. But yeah, I don't know. I just, like Pro Tools is like an instrument to me anyways. It's like the other half. Like there's the guitar, but then literally like I will go in and like rearrange stuff and like fuck with the wave files and everything in Pro Tools to like manipulate it further. It's like, to me it's just like a combined thing
0: for how i have to work. It makes sense because like with this podcast, even though i hate editing it, i would never want anybody else to do it because it would it would just end up taking more time because to try to explain the the subtle nuance to somebody else and then have them replicated it, it would it would be like a full-time job.
2: Yeah, yeah, i feel you. I i've like fully accepted that if someone else was to fully produce an engineer and mix a world is record that they would probably want to kill me. It's <laughs> <'Cause> like, <laughs> I would be like the nightmare. Like I, this specific thing needs to happen in this and this, which I would just do on my own and be like, well, I just want to add this effect to the vocal, but I don't think someone else would really fully get that. Like Greg understood that, but it's because we've like worked on records together for like 10 years. And like, I wouldn't want to have to put someone through that. I'm like, I'll just do it. I learned how to do it because I wanted to I learned how to record because I wanted to be able to do it on my own. Like even with like photography and stuff like that, like I would see people do it at shows, but I was like, I want to just do it. Like I think I can do it. I have to like just know how to do all these things myself.
0: That makes sense. I'm like that too. I want to make sure we talk about Illusory Walls, the 2021 record from The World is a Beautiful Place. It was just released. Last month on Epitaph Records, let's talk about this record a little bit.
2: All right, where do I start? <laughs> um, it's definitely the most intense record I've worked on in my life, and I, I, I've said that in a couple interviews. And I feel like people like thought that I was probably like joking, but it, it's like seventy-two minutes. The, the the last two songs are fifteen minutes and twenty minutes. Like I spent like so many hours on that record. It's like I can't even like fathom how long i spent on it engineering writing everything but we we had started like working on songs for it in i think 2018 we had done a cover of in circles by sunny day real estate which we did the cover because there was supposed to be a documentary about emo music that ended up not happening like after we recorded the song conveniently but that was a good testing ground for like what the band could become I think like whatever our next step was, it was like lower stakes because it was a cover, but we added a bunch of stuff that didn't exist in the original song. Like we kept, we were true to some of this stuff, but it, we like, we rewrote everything that would have happened like halfway through it. And there's a bunch of stuff we changed, but that was like the testing ground of like, can I do this as like now the only guitarist in the band? And are we able to still to do it? after like however many years you know after like three lps and however many like splits and seven inches we had done it's more than most bands have you know and it's like do you still have gas in the tank like to do it or is this just gonna be like well, we're under contract for another record so i guess we might as well you know i i felt like we had to actually like change something up in the band otherwise there was no point you know i didn't want to just coast along like let's just yeah we'll do another record we'll do like a tour that's it But um, yeah, we we basically, we usually get together for like a week at a time to write and obviously record those sessions live. And then the last writing session we had was February of 2020 for like a week. COVID hit. We delayed the record tracking because of everything, but it let me rewrite a lot of my guitar parts and layer a lot of stuff in our demos that we had. We had full band demos that we did at uh, Silver Bullet. Um, that were more in depth than any other demos we had done before. So I had like two months where every night from midnight to seven a.m. I was just writing. Uh, it's just like you have to get in like a regimen. It's like if someone's like writing a book, I feel like they just there's just like the the there's like the practice of always doing it. Even if I cut everything I did the day before, it still was good to stay in the mindset. And the next day, maybe I would come up with something better, and that would stay.
0: Absolutely. You know? And when you're when you're rewriting everything, does the rest of the band get annoyed? Or are they like, no, we were done. It's good. Or are they open to the process?
2: Um, they're just like open to it because because every time we've done a world is record, the big thing is that the record will change throughout the recording process. It's just like it's this just, just like this amorphous thing. Like we'll have a song skeleton, but there's always the acceptance that it will shift in some way. And it will be for the greater good. There's like stuff previously with like, you know, like years ago where there was a couple moments where people would get very unhappy that things would change in the songs. But thankfully, we've like outgrown that like over the years. And it's just everybody was like, no, I want this to change. I don't want it to be exactly what the demo was. Yes, I liked this one part. We can keep that. But this whole thing should shift. That's the expectation. So, I mean, we recorded bass and drums. We did a week of that in June of 2020. And we basically did drums, and then we did just scratch bass for the record. Basically, like we had our basses play through all the songs with the parts that he had. But with the intent of some of these guitar parts are going to shift, at least I can have this while tracking them, tracking guitars, and then they you'll come back in a few months and do the actual base. And normally with our records, we would spend three or four weeks in the studio all at once in a row. And then I would have to turn in the record a few weeks later for a final mix master. And with this record, it was so spread out that it enabled us to have a lot more time on stuff. Thankfully, it didn't turn into like Chinese democracy, like the Guns N' Roses record. Like they're like, well, I've been working on this for 20 years. Will it ever be done? But like, you know, we needed something of a longer stretch where we didn't have the pressure of, hey, you guys have like a headlining tour coming up in like two months. Like we really need this record done for the band to like still exist, like to keep going, you know? So I originally had a week or two, set aside in the end of June to do my guitars. And I thought that was going to be all I needed for guitars. I was like, yeah, I've done all my guitars in less than a week. Like this is, yeah, two weeks. This is fine. Well, we got like a lot of the guitars done, but not all of them. But it, it worked out because it was more intense. And I, I, I mean, I had to play so much stuff. Like for one of our, tw- for our 20 minute song, it took me like, just to get all the rhythm guitar stuff down. It was like days because like there's tempo builds and all this stuff I couldn't like copy paste stuff. I was also experimenting with stuff it was it was a lot but um, through the summer I just was like working on adjusting stuff on my own just like I'd, I'd be like out for like a little bit from the house and I'd like drive home immediately like, I have an idea for this song and I need to all right I have to shift it right now and thankfully I have the access to a studio like that. But like the song the second song on the record, um, Queen Sophie for President, it was very different when we first wrote it. And like I just had this like, I couldn't sleep at night. I could fucking like I couldn't stop thinking about it. I was like, this song, like, I want it to be better. Like, I can't understand how it's not gelling. And then I had this crazy realization one day. I was like just listening to tons of different bands and watching documentaries as I was like doing edits, and I was like, oh. I'm going to add a drum machine to the first third of the song. And it was just like various things like that. I was like going mad for months, like shifting stuff. But like everyone was into it, thankfully. Like, But yeah, I mean, then we we had our bassist come back in the fall for a week and we did bass for like the week and percussion with our drummer Steve. And throughout that, we also got basic recording setups for our our two vocalists, um, Katie and Dave. And so they were able to stay in philly where they live and they katie was able to do her synth and vocal stuff and would send me the tracks and like GarageBand files and i'd like export them out and like send notes uh and dave would send me just the waves we were working with three different recording softwares but like it was just like, I was like, I'll deal with it. Like whatever runs on their computer, will just go with it. I don't want to go the route of like, Hey, let's buy you a new computer in this and this. And then like the cost is infinite. But yeah, it was tons of tons of going back and forth. Zoom calls, um, Google docs, like emails between our two vocalists to, you know, get everything together. And Katie got a uh, neck injury. So um in in the fall of 2020 so it delayed our vocal tracking for her by a few months and it it like kept like rolling into other records i was doing because i would i booked my stuff out by at least a couple months so i'd be like i have abandoned for all of november like uh i'll have to start work on it in december i like our label was like where's the record where (laughs) is there a record? Like they didn't have like roughs of anything. Cause I was like, Oh, I need to have it like at a spot where I feel comfortable. You know, our manager was probably like not happy either, but he, he, our, our manager really like made everything come together. He, he's like our saving grace. He, he's really like a big turning point for why we even did another record. And he's just been there for us since I think we started working with him in 2018 or 2019. It was a big thing for us because the band was like very close to ending. Oh, really? Why is that? Because it was like uh, there was a bunch of stuff that had happened. Like we were supposed to do a tour with Say Anything in 2018, the fall of 2018. And we we were touring full time after our record Always Foreign came out. So we were just constantly on tour from 2017 through 2018. And that was like our income was like touring. And we had a two month tour booked with them in the fall of 2018 and everything was lined up. We're like, okay, we're going to be home for like a month or two. And then we're going back out. And the day the tour is supposed to get announced, say anything broke up and was like, we're not touring again. And, but it was like too late to book anything. So like every band was like, I guess we're not touring. Got to figure something else out. And you know, like whatever say Anything's thing was, it's their, it's their band. But, it, it was like, oh, okay, what do we do? You know, kind of scramble, like, what do I do with my life right now? Because, like, I didn't have anything booked recording-wise, like, and, you know, other people, they were like, I have to, I guess, figure out a job right now, like, last minute. So, you know, there's just, like, a bunch of weird stops and starts with that. Like, oh, we're supposed to do this? uh, never mind. And, like, it just wasn't, it didn't seem like it was kicking into gear, just like too much just like, Oh, is this going to happen? Nope. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but yeah, like, you know, our manager, Anthony, he, he really like got us organized and was like, this is what we're going to do and this is how we're going to do it. And he got it all together, which was amazing. Like he even tour managed our tour that we just did. He filled in on guitar for us. It was like, He's helped us so much. Anyways, Illusory Walls was just like this long process, but it was like very rewarding. Like through the whole time, I was like, this is like my favorite stuff we've done, which it could easily have been, uh, I guess it's not really turning out the way I wanted.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you want to have that feeling that this is the best thing we've ever done. You Mm -hmm. should have that feeling. And I'm glad that your manager helped everybody pull it together because the record is great. We love it and it it sounds fantastic. And- Everybody needs to listen to it today. <laughs>
2: Thanks. Yeah, let me get the uh, let me get those, uh, Spotify streams so, like, you know, hopefully we can pay back the record.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you haven't searched out a Mediafire link for the record yet, uh, no, I'm just kidding. You, you just saw...
2: throw it on a playlist on Spotify and let that loop every night, and eventually the record will be paid back, and I might <laughs> be able to retire one day instead of working 100-hour weeks.
0: Yeah, please. <laughs> <laughs> Let's help out Chris here. He needs it. So the name of the band. Who uh-huh. came up with the name of the band?
2: All right. So it's like I feel like it's like a little deflating for like people when they find out because people will come up to me and they'll be like, "Yo, it like really speaks to me because like I feel that way, man." Like yeah. what was and they'll be like. Where is it from? And I'm like, honestly, it was like an inside joke between a couple people in the band about post rock songs having long titles. That's like <laughs> where it came from, but obviously it's become its own thing. Yeah. You know, like through the years, and it's like this like whole meta thing at this point. But it's like cool. Um, but it it started with it just being an inside joke. It's like, this is a ridiculous name. It's like an explosions in the sky song title or something like, you know, it it was just, that's where it was birthed from. But I think through the years it like kind of took on its own thing. It's definitely like something where people might have a bias towards the band of like, what is that stupid name? That band must suck. Like, like I understand that. Like I, there's a ton of bands where I'm like, that name sucks. I'm not going to listen to that. And like then I'm like, "Oh yeah, I play in a band with the longest name and like <laughs> I can't even say anything. I can't I can't judge, you know, but um it, I mean it I will say it did help us get a tour with Caspian uh in 2013 when their guitarist Phil, he was like he told us that they were given like a list of bands that were submitted for the tour and that the name stuck out to him and I think it caused him to check us out and stuff. So
0: I mean it's helped. I've always loved the band name because it sounds like a hammock song title and hammock are my favorite band.
2: That's sick. I, I, I still I fully admit I still need to listen to them because there's a there's a band I record from Connecticut called Orbiter and they're they're kinda more progressive, but they have a lot of atmospheric and post rock elements to them. Yeah. And they're guitarist, every time I record them, he's like, Man, do you check out Hammock yet? You should check out Hammock because they're one of my favorites. And I'm like well yeah, do it and i like save it on spotify and then like i'm like i open spotify i'm like what's my recent artist oh Snapcase. let me listen to this record for the 400th <laughs> time
0: i hear you i i do that too and thankfully the show pushes me to listen to more music or i'd be caught in the same loop but uh oh here's a scenario for you chris ready you're at thanksgiving dinner right you're with your aunts and uncles and let your uncles like uh, oh, Chris, you still got that little band going, huh? And you're like, yeah. And he's like, oh, what's the name of the band again? Do you hit him with the full title? Do you give him a piece of it? Or do you just make up something easier? You're in luck
2: because that is the exact scenario that has happened to me many times. <laughs> um, so the uncle in question who would ask me that is um, the typical sketchy uncle uh. <laughs> and, um, on my dad's side. And he's actually. This kind of goes back to me in high school. He'd always call me emo, and like, I mean, I like emo bands. I got to grow up with them. But he'd always be like, "You're fucking, you're fucking emo," and I was like, "Dude, you're fifty. You don't even know what that (laughs) is. Like, what is happening?" He just like heard someone say it, you know. And I remember he once saw my belt when I was like seventeen. And he, there was nothing weird about it. It was just like a studded belt. And he's like, the belt would look better on my girlfriend. Why are you wearing that stupid thing? So, with him, I wouldn't, I refused to tell him the band name for years. I li- literally, it was the point where I would visit my grandmother. He would be there, be like, Chris, what's the fucking band name? What is your <laughs> fucking band's name? And I would just run away and be like, oh, I don't know. I'm not going to say it. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I finally told him, but I only told him the world is because I didn't want to deal with it. It's like the equivalent of talking to a border agent. Like, they're like, what's the band name? And you're like, fuck, fuck, fuck. They're going to, they're going to hate this. And, and like, we once were at the border in England, we were like, oh, okay. We were going to take the ferry from France to England or something and they were like, "You, go, you're going in. They're going to interview you all." And we're like, "All right, fine." And, and the border agents are like, "What's the band name?" And we're like, "Fuck." In that case, we had to tell them because, like, I couldn't lie. I mean, my lie at a gas station, if we're on tour, is to say we're foxing. Because then people are like, I don't know, I think I've heard of it. Who knows? And it's like it's just like an unassuming band name. They're like, okay. And then they don't <laughs> say anything. But then you see them go to their car and start to look it up on Spotify. We have seen that. And then they'll look back real confused because they're like, you know, no one is no one in Foxing has a hand tattoo. What the fuck? <laughs> and like but like um anyways, um, yeah, we're at the border and the fucking guys pulled up one of our music videos. On their phone, and they're watching it. It was for the song January 10th, uh, 2014, which was on our second LP, Harmlessness. Literally, they're like, Oh, look at all these girls in the video. And I'm like, Oh my fucking God. Holy shit. Like, I just want to get on the boat and leave. And they're like, You know any of these girls? Uh, and I was like, No, I fucking don't. <laughs> like, wow. I'm just, I just want to go so bad. <laughs> and they're just like punishing us and they're like, it's all right, I guess. All right. <laughs> but like, you know, oh, there was another border agent. Anytime you cross back from Canada into the U.S., the U.S. border agents are like, they're like cowboys. They're like, oh, we're we're so tough. We're American. And like, I remember crossing in and I, I was driving and I'm like the guy who looks like he's in a metalcore band and like I fully accept it. And so like I pull up and the guy's like, you guys play hard rock. And I was like, sure. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't know. Your point of reference is probably Godsmack. I don't know. Yeah. That's that's all you're going to know. And he's like, what's the band name? And I, I, I was like, the world is, and he goes with a Z. And I was like, unfortunately <laughs> not. Like, sorry. Didn't should have thought of that. And he's like, "Damn, it would be good if it had a Z." And I was like, "The fuck is this new metal shit?" Like, of course, it's like his only fucking reference. And he opens the side of our van, sees our one of our vocalists, Katie, and he goes, "You a groupie?" And everyone is just like,
0: fuck "Oh me. no!" Oh. Trash
2: fell out of the van, and like, the, like there was just like I don't know, bags of chips or something like in the side, and like it yeah. fell out. They blow in the wind. And we're like, oh my God, we just like littered at the fucking border. It's like midnight. We want to just get in. And we're like, oh, I'm sorry. And the guy just goes, I don't give a shit. Went to the other side anyways. We don't care about them.
0: And I was like, all right.
2: (laughs) And I gave him my paperwork because he asked for the paperwork because he's like, you know, being like tough cop guy. And he looks at it, he goes, I don't need this Canadian crap. And I was like, oh, I don't fucking know. That's what I got. And he just goes, All right, you can go. But like, it's like dealing with the uncle is like dealing with the
0: border agent cop. Right. <laughs> like, right. I
2: don't want to deal with it.
0: I figured there had to be some shortening of the name or just dismissal of it. Cause like, even just saying, like, talking to my relatives, they'd be like, What band are you touring with? And I'd be like, This day forward. And they'd be like, This day what? And I'm like, Oh, I just. I can't deal with this.
2: Yeah, it's like they want you to say fucking Aerosmith. I'm like, I don't know ACDC. and they're like, "Oh, all right, cool." <laughs> like, <laughs> although at my girlfriend's side of, side of the family, like we'll, we'll go to like um all her holiday stuff. I don't I don't like to go to my family stuff. It's always like an annoying thing. It's like my uncle's going to come. He's going to make fun of me and it's yeah. gonna be a whole, he's going to be he's going to call me emo and he's going to laugh and he's going to go smoke a cigarette outside. But like at least my girlfriend's family they love it. They're like her mom literally like always tries to tell people about it. It's like, I love it. Cause she's like more enthusiastic about it than like my parents are. It will be like at a restaurant and she's like, she starts t- randomly. She'll just start talking to someone and it's like, Oh, I play music. And she's like, oh, have you heard of this band? You should listen to this band. And it's like endearing. It's not like annoying. It's like, Oh, you, you care. And you know, it's, it it's just funny. I, I'm fine to say the name to her because she will say the entire name and she'll go to see us and she fucking loves it. And she's super cool. She's like, oh, I used to go go to shows growing up in Boston all the time at like the Middle East and stuff like that. And she'd tell me about how she saw Springsteen and all this stuff. And it's cool there. But the uncle at Thanksgiving is like the worst. And In that situation, I'm emo guy. That's where like I'm not like the – the metalhead guy. It's like, yo, you're the emo guy. You know, you know,
0: like <laughs> that's <laughs> that's what I become, I guess. Oh man. Well, let's recap. So, <laughs> folks, here's what we're gonna do. Number one, we're gonna listen to "The World Is a Beautiful Place" and I am no longer afraid to die. They have a very expansive catalog. We're gonna listen to it on Spotify on repeat so that Chris can get one dollar American.
2: Yes, it's like my retire. Spotify is like. Like, like, uh, what social security is just not going to exist at some point, probably. There's always like news reports of it. So, like, hopefully, Spotify is like, I'm 80 and they're like, here's 20 cents. And I'm like, oh, great. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> no, but yeah, I Illusory Walls would be the one to check out. I swear. Yeah,
0: we're going to listen to Illusory Walls because <laughs> it's the latest record and it just came out October 8th on Epitaph Records. We want to check that out.
2: Yes, yeah, so we want to pay back our record advance, please.
0: Yes. <laughs> and then we want to go book ourselves at Silver Bullet Studios to get recorded by Chris and maybe even Greg Thomas. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> You'll be in very good hands there. And finally, we want to go check out the band live. You got any more dates coming up soon? Yes. We actually just announced a tour
2: with a band called The Deer Hunter. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a full US. Boston already sold out within like a day or two. And the opener of the tour is Tanner Merritt from the band Oh Brother, which is awesome. He's going to be doing his solo material, which is awesome for me because, like, they're one of my favorite bands. So it's like, it's a little trippy for me. Even though we're like playing above him in the bill, I'm like, dude, I want to just see a set like that. I've paid to see Oh Brother multiple times at this point. Like, That's great for me. But uh, yeah, that's, um, that's through March into the first few days of April um, of 2022. I keep wanting to say 2021 as if it's still 2020. Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. I
0: feel you on that. Well, Chris, we just want to say thank you so much for speaking with us tonight. You know, you've created so much great music that we love, that many people love. And it was a real pleasure talking to you
2: thanks for having me yeah i mean it's cool it's like yeah your guest list it's like <laughs> someone from today's the day earth crisis uh pat from uh fiddlehead Snapcase, and then you know the emo guy i guess <laughs>
0: <laughs> we cover everybody
2: oh i love it i love it i'm I'm stoked to go through some of the older episodes especially like vadim and stuff like that that's great it's awesome
0: yes and vadim will be very happy to hear that too so <laughs> <laughs> thank you <laughs> There you have it folks. Chris Teddy. Excellent conversation. He's done so much between the world is and the recording. I didn't know he was recording with Greg. That's funny. I like that because I just met Greg at Furnace Fest and he's just done so much. He was a pleasure to talk to.
1: Yeah, I really like to hear the inside stuff of like how things get recorded and I, I think it's so crazy is that like When people talk about recording, they're like, yeah, well, we recorded the demos, and then we made fixes on the demos, and then we redid some of the demo stuff, and then we started recording. And I'm like, oh, my God. That process sounds
0: so intense. He reminded me of me because I push things to the last minute, and I'll do three, four, five, six, seven revisions until it's perfect, and then I post it, and I'm like, oh, I should have changed this one little thing. Like. (laughs)
1: I'm always afraid of like if I change things too much, I'm gonna get away from what the original idea was. And that was like kind of the thing that I like the most. I always think about when people get into the studio and they're like, they have this nugget of an idea. Yeah. I mean, if you're lucky enough to get in the studio and be able to write in there. Like, yeah. Um, but like they have this nugget of an idea and they're like, this is the part. And it's like eventually at the end when they're done recording is that nugget still in there or is it changed so much that it's like not even recognizable from how it started? But like, I I think one of the things Chris kind of hit on was like layering those smaller parts and not making them too complex makes them greater than the sum of their parts. Like they they become something much more that has much more depth than something that's way too complicated that I, I love that ideology.
0: That's my philosophy for music. He he was right on with that. And we were talking a little bit after we hit stop. And we just like a ton of the same bands. We have the same influences. So I, I always appreciate that. It was great to talk to Chris. Thank you again, Chris, for speaking with us. But Tommy. Oh, Lord. Do you know what time it is?
1: <sighs> yeah, with a setup like that, I know exactly what time it is. Do you
0: know what we're going to do now?
1: I'm going to go with pop culture minute.
0: That's right, Tommy. It's time for your favorite segment, the Pop Culture Minute. And this is where we discuss the hot topics of the day. Who's in? Who's out? Who's canceled? Who's not? Tommy, are you ready to dive into the hot topics of the day? Let's go. All right, number one, Pete Davidson and Kim Kardashian, Tommy. They are together. Kim Kardashian has apparently left your boy Kanye West, and she is with... Pete Davidson now your thoughts Pete
1: Davidson's the guy from Fallout Boy
0: (laughs) is that the guy with the black hair right
1: no who is it Pete
0: Davidson is the guy from Saturday Night Live
1: oh yeah 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 okay I the king of Staten Island guy yeah I know that and he was was
0: formerly with Ariana Grande and Kate Beckinsale this guy has it going on he's like the guy he's like the king of out
1: of his league (laughs) (laughs)
0: How, how, like, how is he doing it? Imagine being that guy, like, imagine being the default guy that everyone in Hollywood is going to get with or wants to get with.
1: Uh, He must be incredibly charismatic. I mean, apparently. Yeah. Yeah. So how
0: do you feel about Kim Kardashian being with him now? I know you're an avid Kanye West supporter and fan. Yeah. Do Do you feel... For Kanye, do you hope that one day Kanye and Kim will get back together? Give us your thoughts, Tommy. No, you'll you
1: be fine, bro. He's a, <laughs> he's the fucking man. He doesn't give up. And my thing is, is like he'll come out with something crazy in like a month, and it'll it'll dwarf anything that she's ever done or anything that she will ever do. My thing is with him is like he's a legitimate like he's a genius. Like he really is. Like I, that's what I, my consistent thinking about him is, is that he, people may like what he does. They don't like what he does, but what you can't be, what's never in denial is that he makes amazing music that a a core group of people absolutely love. And I, I am definitely on, on that same boat.
0: Well, yes, we wish the best for Kanye And uh, we wish the best for Pete Davidson and Kim Kardashian. Sure. Why not? Yeah, sure. All right. Next on the list, Tommy, The Beatles, Get Back, a 16-hour documentary about The Beatles No. by Peter Jackson, director of Lord of the Rings. Tommy, did you watch the documentary? No. Tommy, will you watch the documentary? No. Me either. (laughs) That's, I just, and that's it. That's the Pop Culture Minute. We've covered everything we're going to cover, and we conclude this episode
1: of the Pop Culture Minute. There's going to be some angry text from Vadim after this one.
0: Well, listen, Vadim should be happy he was mentioned at least four times in this episode. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> <laughs> so, how are we doing, Tommy? We, we have survived Thanksgiving. Well, I have. You barely have, right?
1: Yeah, it's uh, Thanksgiving was not great. We actually didn't do Thanksgiving. Uh, no cooking, no turkey, no any of that? No. Tell the
0: people what happened, Tommy. Uh,
1: so this started the Friday before Thanksgiving. I got a call around 10 o'clock in the morning. Uh, The baby had a fever. I needed to go pick her up. Uh, and she was really, really sick. And then she transitioned from getting better uh, and gave it to both of the twins. So the twins were sick starting on Tuesday. Uh, So we missed Thanksgiving this year we ordered Papa John's pizza and Chinese food and hung out at the house and watched TV.
0: See, that sounds like a great Thanksgiving
1: minus the being sick part. (laughs) It was fucking amazing. And I got, I finally got sick, uh, starting like Sunday. So,
0: well, I hope you feel better soon, Tommy. I know you're suffering and I know you're feeling even worse after being subjected to the pop culture minute again, (laughs) but my Thanksgiving was good. I went and visited my parents. I haven't seen them in about a year. I score big points because I was the only kid that showed up for Thanksgiving. Everyone else lives out of state or was busy, so I win. That you win the
1: sibling contest.
0: Yes, and uh, I've been streaming on Twitch more. I'll just say again, I love it. If you're on Twitch, give me a follow. The new scene, I've been doing any... I think this is going to be my schedule, Tommy. Thursday, classic first-person shooter.
1: Saturday all
0: day warzone Sunday
1: NES game what do you think of that I really like I, I mean I kind of checked out a little bit with the call of duty one because it's, it's really I'll be honest it's really hard to follow because you you move so quickly there's uh, just
0: so much to that game it's like it's like watching a chess game almost you have to really be invested in it
1: yeah I, I, I kind of but I watched uh, a lot of um, the no kill contra Yes. And I watched a lot of Nightmare on Elm Street.
0: Yes, I'm going to try to finish that up tonight after we record, Tommy. So hopefully I can do that so I can move on to the next game. And yeah, it's just really fun. I I won't go on and on again, but I love the platform. I love streaming. I love watching streams. It's a lot of fun. And that's about all that's going on with me. It's just busy, busy, busy lately work podcast oh and the band i'm putting together seems to be progressing tommy we have almost two songs now nice that's great yeah how many people are in the band total Three.
1: Oh, it's just a three piece three piece
0: oh yeah. that's awesome so hopefully you will see live shows again from me at some point i hope that progresses along and that's what's going on with me
1: that's really good, man. Just to bring this up, this is something that's a complete aside, but you were talking about going home for Thanksgiving. Yes. Uh, I really think you have a future in uh video editing and oh, here's yeah that just you posted a story with that uh it, it was like the time lapse time lapse thank you uh you, you did a time lapse of your of your train ride and you you scored it perfectly. With that band, uh, for some reason the name escapes me. Rolo Tomasi. Rolo Tomasi. And I, I as soon as I saw it, I immediately texted you. Know, I was like, uh, way to fit that song in perfectly. It like it <laughs> synced up so well and it just it, it captured the mood and the moment. It was just beautifully done. And I just wanted to give you some shout out for that because it was in my head, I'm going like, This is what you should be doing.
0: Well, that will be my future. And I thank you for the kind words. Yeah, I, I was my head was on fire because I, I was so into that song. I was like, I have to make something right now to get it out of my head. And so I, I quickly threw that video together as I was on the train ride. Because you see, Tommy, I am a creator and I am always creating, even when I am just in transit.
1: Yeah, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm more of a consumer of creativity.
0: Well, this this podcast is partly your creation too, Tommy. You are Delivering the
1: goods each week. <laughs> you gave me a nice compliment before, and I've been kind of rolling with that one, which was, how do you come up with things so quickly? And I don't know.
0: <laughs> yeah, like those one-liners that you come up with when I say things are just beautiful. See how complimentary we are of each other, Tommy? This is this is why this thing is going to work. Yeah, we support cool. each other uh, like a marriage.
1: Yeah, it is. I was going to say, there's, there's very, uh, there's a, Very close correlation between uh, a romantic relationship and what we do.
0: Does your wife ever get jealous?
1: No, she gets angry at the time that I spend doing it sometimes. I see. But only because... You know, uh, of incidental things like the baby's freaking out or, you know, uh, she has work to do and she can't watch all three kids at the same time like that. Comes right. Out. But right. most of the t- the girls are old. The girls are eight now. So, like, they're pretty much self-sufficient. So uh, that's her problem.
0: Well, listen, we're doing great and we hope you are, too. And I just want to say thanks, everybody, for listening and all the new listeners. You know, we've seen an increase in activity and we love that. Let's read a couple nice comments. We got a lot of great feedback on our Snapcase episode. I liked this comment, Tommy. Check this out. Jason Sodhasto says, I'm so thankful I stumbled upon this channel. Such a trip down memory lane. Progression through unlearning the Snapcase album was a game changer for me, both musically and from a mental standpoint. I still carry the lessons learned in that album till this day. Oh, and this one, Raw Power 12X says, man, this was great. Snapcase is one of my favorite bands ever. Not even talking about hardcore only. This band really changed the way I used to think. Being in high school, listening to Snapcase changed my life. My friends and I, to this day, describe them as thinking man hardcore, which is a great description, Tommy. That really is. I agree with
1: that. Yeah, 100%.
0: Raw Power goes on and says, funny thing is I was at the San Diego show in March 2001, H2O face-to-face tour. Uh Uh-oh. Oh, and boy. I was so bummed, and I always kept hearing stories, but nice to know from the source. I love Designs for Automotion. I can listen to steps, progression through unlearning, and designs back-to-back without skipping a single song. Same here. I love all of those records. So thank you, everybody who's reached out. Thanks for all the great feedback. Thanks for listening. Remember to follow us on every platform. We're out there now. Remember to post this episode and tag us and Iodine Recordings to get your hands on that Jerome's Dream record. And that's it, Tommy, why don't you, why don't you give us some, uh, some closing inspirational words for
1: old time's sake? I think the most valuable thing we have in life is our health and we take it for granted. I always take for granted when I'm healthy. And then when I'm sick, I'm like, what a miserable asshole I am. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I, everything bothers me. Everything's a, a nuisance. Like everything, I, my, my temper is short. Uh, my patience is almost non-existent. And, uh, I, I, I take for granted a lot of times when I'm healthy. So if you're healthy right now, count your blessings. There you go. Isn't it funny when you're sick and you're, you, you're like, God, can I just get back to normal?
0: Everything was so easy last week, and now I'm never going to get better.
1: Yeah, I have that mindset of, I'm I'm going to just count off the symptoms as they disappear. So I'm like, okay, I'm less congestion. Okay, I'm not coughing as much. Okay, I'm not, you know, my stomach doesn't hurt as much. Like that kind of, like, I, I'm slowly starting to think in terms of, as these symptoms are are less and less, I'm going to appreciate the health I, I have when I have it.
0: There you go. So appreciate health and appreciate the now. So that's it for this week. We're back next week with another banger episode. So thanks, everybody, for listening. And until next time. Yeah!